I'll just let you get away with it? Did he receive their acts of worship even though their hearts were black? What did God say? How did, how did God handle these rebellious children who were whining and complaining and accusing? All these people wanted to do was talk about their suffering. All they wanted to do was talk about politics. All they wanted to do was talk about justice. All they wanted to do was talk about the EPA. But God says, this is what God said to them. This is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Jesus. That's what I want to talk about. Look at verse 1 of Malachi chapter 3. Look! Okay, In my translation, it has an exclamation point. Look! Pay attention! This is important. Wake up! God is saying, look, this is what I want to talk about. I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I want to talk about four things that are necessary to keep us from being pretenders in the eyes of God to keep us from being fake or to keep our worship from being unacceptable in the eyes of God. To help us as worshipers of the one true living God. I want my worship to be acceptable in His sight. Four things that will keep our worship from being unacceptable. First of all, you must receive the grace of God. So, in this verse 1 of Malachi chapter 3, let me ask you, who is the messenger in this verse? If you continue to read on, remember there's 400 years of silence between Malachi and the book of Matthew. As you turn the pages of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you learn that the messenger is John the Baptist. He's the one who's preparing the way for the Lord. Let me ask you, who is the Lord you are seeking? Malachi says, the Lord you are seeking is going to come. The Lord you are seeking is Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, who is the temple? The temple that's spoken about in verse 1 of Malachi chapter 3. In the Old Testament, the Lord had a temple for His people. But in the New Testament, the Lord has a people for His temple. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we, that's us, that's our bodies, are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them. God will live in you. I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Dang. That's good. Who is the messenger of the covenant that's talked about in verse 1 of Malachi chapter 3? The messenger of the covenant. The one who was coming to tell us about the new covenant, the new promise, was Jesus Christ. So what is that covenant? What is that promise? Jeremiah 31, 34 says, For I will forgive their iniquities, their sins, and I will remember their sin no more. 
The new covenant, the new promise, the new testament is all about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Freedom from your past, from your failures, from your flesh. It's about God promising to remember your sin no more. When we accept the grace of God, when we enter into that new covenant promise, He makes us His temple. The very nature of Jesus Christ is in us. That's incredible. And it's not just a bunch of rules and it's not just a bunch of regulations. He, Jesus Christ, lives in us. We're not just praying at God. I'm going to throw up some prayers, you know, to the man upstairs. Or it's not just talking about God. We are in relationship with God. For your worship to be acceptable in the eyes of God, you must accept the grace of God. Secondly, you must align your heart with the heart of God. Does your heart beat for what God's heart beats for? You know? Are you going the same direction that He's going? Are you speaking about the same things He's speaking about? Are you concerned about the same things He's concerned about? It's not just about acceptance. Man, I accepted Jesus, you know, when I was this age or that age, and I was here and I was there. It's not just about acceptance. It's not just about receiving that grace. I accepted the grace of God. I received that grace. He saved me. But I am not done. He's not finished with me. The work, when I was saved as a 13-year-old boy, the work was just beginning. God saved us to change us. To transform us so that we can live out His purposes in a needy, broken, hurting world. God isn't finished with you. The reason God forgave you, the reason He saved you, is because He wants to transform your life. Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Some incredibly... Powerful verses right here. But who will be able to endure it when He comes? Who will be able to stand and face Him when He appears? You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers came to arrest Him? And they asked Him a simple question. Are you... The man, are you Jesus, the one that they're talking about? And if you remember, he said, I am he. And the scripture says the the soldiers were thrown backwards, literally thrown backwards onto the ground because they couldn't stand and face him when he appeared. Who will be able to stand and face him? When he appears, not the Navy SEALs of the Roman army. They couldn't stand. They couldn't face him. They were blown away. 
For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites. That's the priests. That's the leaders, the spiritual leaders. That's the pastors. He's going to purify us. He's going to refine us like gold and silver so that we may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. That's His intention. He wants us to be holy. The goal of God, after He saves us and He forgives us, is to make us holy. He saves us. He forgives our iniquities. He forgives our past. He forgives our present. He forgives our future. He forgives us. We're completely forgiven. And the whole point is to make us holy. Let me ask each of you, are you personally, don't think about anyone around you but yourself, okay? Are you free from selfishness? Are you free from impatience? I just got done driving on the interstate in Denver, right? I-25, construction everywhere. I'm struggling with impatience. Are you free from pride, from lust, from jealousy, from gossip, from anger, from criticism, from unbelief? Do you have any difficulty with these things, with these areas in your life? You see, the the goal of God is that the inward Christ, the Christ that is inside of us, we've accepted that grace. He's indwelt us through the Holy Spirit of God. The goal is that that inward Christ would become outwardly evident. That's His goal. He wants to purify us. He wants to make us holy so that we will be acceptable in the eyes of a holy, perfect, righteous God. Thirdly, we've got to learn to rest in the goodness of God. When the trials of life come, church, and they will come, when sickness comes, when you have a setback, when disappointments come, when you fail, when death enters in to a family, into a church, into a community, when it seems as though God is just sitting there doing nothing, It's in that moment that we must rest in His goodness. You have to know that He is good. He's making us holy. He's refining us. The prophet Malachi talked a lot in these verses about refining. So let me just talk to you a little bit about the process of refining. There's actually four steps to the refining process. And first of all, in the refining process, you have to extract, you have to take out the ore from the earth, from the ground. Okay, The ore is taken from the mine. It's a picture of the Lord reaching down and saving us and lifting us out of this world. The only problem is the world isn't out of us. Okay, He's taking us, He has taken us, rather, as Christians out of the world, but the world is still in us. The second step of refining is the ore has to be crushed. It's crushing the ore. It's breaking it into a bunch of little pieces. You know, we as 
human beings, we, we tend to throw things away a lot. I am super guilty of this. Okay, I, I have no problem throwing things away. I don't know what it is with me, what my problem is. My dad is just the opposite. Okay, He will save everything. I try to throw everything away. But God, He doesn't use anything unless He breaks it first. If you remember when Gideon's men broke their earthen pitchers in which they carried their lanterns, they broke their pitchers, and it was then that the light manifested itself and God gave the victory in that war. If you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000, He blessed the bread, and the Scripture says then He broke it. At the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread and He broke it. Remember Mary in her alabaster box this box of fine perfume, very, very expensive, a container full of expensive perfume, costly. She broke it in order to worship God. When a farmer wants a crop, he has to break up the ground to plant the seed. King David said, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will not despise. There is no blessedness without brokenness. Church, there is no blessedness without brokenness. I've heard it put this way, that no one is going to strut at the foot of the cross. This leads us to the third step in the refining process. The ore is taken out of the ground. It's broken into a bunch of pieces. And then it is sent through the fire. It's melted. It's put into the furnace. You know, when we face trials and conflict and affliction, when we face persecution, it doesn't mean that God has stopped loving you. It doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Christian and non-Christian alike are going to face troubles in this life. The Scripture says that men have many troubles. Okay, We have troubles abounding because the, the, everything beneath us is cursed. That's why the weeds grow, because the ground is cursed. We're going to have troubles. You know, our, our cars break down. We have marital issues. You know, the, the lights break down. My fuel pump goes out in my Suburban and the color of the wires don't match up. It was so annoying. Everything seems to come against us. We're going to have problems and trials. Both Christian and non-Christian are going to face troubles and trials. Both Christian and non-Christian are going to face death. The difference is, with Christ, the troubles, the pain, they refine you. They make you better. The pain 
has a purpose. Without Christ, the pain is just pain. There is no purpose. There is no reason. It doesn't make any sense at all. The fourth step in the refining is the ore is purified. Man, can you just picture it with me? As he heats up the furnace and as he skims off the dross and as he takes away all the impurities and all the dirt and the grime and the guck, you know, and he takes all that stuff away, all of a sudden at the end of the refining process, all of a sudden there it is, man. Shiny. It's pure. The metal begins to to shine and it begins to reflect. It begins to show a reflection of Himself. At the end of the refining process, it's so pure, God can look into it and He sees Him. He sees Himself. That's holiness. Jesus Christ is seen in you and He's seen in me. This is His goal. This is His desire. He's taking away the superficial so the supernatural can be evident in our lives. Which leads us to the fourth element that is necessary for our worship to be acceptable in the sight of God. The last point this morning is that we need to reflect His glory. And if we do so, then verse 4 in Malachi chapter 3 is going to become a reality in our lives. Look at verse 4, Malachi chapter 3. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to Him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as He did in the past. Your worship will be acceptable. Your service will be acceptable in the eyes of God. You know, the sad reality is today... Christian Christians are singing songs of worship, but it's not acceptable in the ears of God. Today, some teacher taught, but it wasn't acceptable in the eyes of God. Today, some preacher preached, but it wasn't acceptable to the Lord. Today, some gave an offering, but it wasn't acceptable to the Lord. God isn't pleased. He could care less about all your churchy stuff. He could care less. He's not pleased. He's not impressed with all your churchy busyness. When there is no repentance, when our lives are full of sin and our hearts are black, it's unacceptable. Do you want to please God? If you want to please God, then you have to receive the grace of God. If you want to please God, then you have to align your dreams. You have to align your dreams with His dreams. I'm going to make some people mad. I'm not intentionally trying to do this. But I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. 
It's not aligning your dreams with the American dream. It's aligning your dreams with His dream. Then it will begin to please the Lord. If you want to please God, you got to rest in His goodness. Isn't that amazing? I've, I've experienced it time after time when, when tragedy strikes, when hardship comes, a loss of a job, whatever it may be, and it, and it strikes the family of a Christian and they respond with grace and peace and love and kindness. And people are like, what in the heck is going on? Like, I, I don't get it. People that are watching in just don't understand how you could respond to such turmoil in such a way. Like, man, if I was going through that, I'd be freaking out, you know? I'd be going crazy. But yet, that Christian, you know, that that woman who is battling for her life, she's fighting breast cancer, she's going through the treatments, and she's responding with such tenacity and fearlessness, and she's like, man, praising God through it. That's resting in the goodness of God. I don't know why I have cancer, but I know God is good and He has a purpose. And you know what? By God's grace, He's going to heal me. He's going to get me through this. You're just trusting Him. You're resting. You're not all freaked out. You're resting in the goodness of God. Man, if you want to please God... You have to reflect the glory of God. The Scripture says that you will know them, you'll know Christians by their fruit. Okay? This has always been such a convicting verse because I, every seed I plant, it dies. Okay? My garden never does good. Um, I put a plant in the window and I water it and I talk to it. You know, I heard that you're supposed to be like, Hi, little plant! And... Maybe it was before I brushed my teeth or something. I don't know. But it dies. Always dies. But the Scripture says you'll know them by their fruit. Thankfully, God's not going to judge my gardening. Okay, He's going to judge my heart. And hopefully, fruit is abounding. It's, hopefully, it's acceptable. You'll know them by their fruit. And honestly, church, sometimes it's really easy. Not in a judgmental way, but just in a fruit inspection way to go, dang, they're a mess somewhere. They're, they're, they're not getting it. I don't know where they're going off track, but there's no fruit. The fruit's bitter. It's nasty or it's dead. There's nothing. You will know them. You'll know they're Christians by their fruit. So I have to ask you, in a loving pastor kind of way, what kind of fruit are you producing? Who are you ministering to? Who are you going out to? That's part of our vision. Go out. And it comes directly from the lips of Jesus Christ Himself when He was ascending and He said, Go into all the world and make disciples. That wasn't a suggestion. It was a command from our Lord and our King. So are you making disciples? 
This isn't just something that you have to be on staff for or that you get paid to do. This is a direct command from our God to every one of us as Christians. It's, not, it's non-negotiable. You can't uh, wheel and deal with God on this matter. Well, you know, my job is just to go and to make sure all the Christians are doing it right. My job is to just, you know, confront. My job is to do this, to do that. Wait, just stop. No, that's, that's your own thinking. That's coming from your own lips. But from the lips of Jesus Christ, He said, go and make disciples. That's what we are to be doing as Christians. So how is your fruit? What kind of fruit are you producing? Man, I, I pray that people will see Jesus in our lives. At the end of your life, at the end of the refining process, you know, the struggle that you're going through, these parenting issues, these marital issues, and it's all to make you holy, to make you pure. And when you get to the end of that refining process, you should be able to see the reflection of Jesus Christ. Man, is it not such a, an amazing blessing when you go to a funeral of someone who has given their life to Christ? And the thing that is talked about most is not really that corpse in the casket. What's talked about most is Jesus Christ. Dang, it's like that's, that's what I want. I want to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. Are you the worshiper? Because we're all worshipers, by the way. You're giving your life to something. You're worshiping something. We're all worshipers. Are you the worshiper acceptable before the Lord? Does He accept your worship? I'm asking myself the same question, church. I'm not pointing the finger. Please don't receive it that way. I'm saying all of us need to ask that question. Is our worship acceptable? Have you ever made the decision to follow Jesus Christ? Have you ever accepted His grace His undeserved love towards us. Let me ask you, is Jesus your God? There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm going to ask this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come up. And just to be very transparent with you, I am kind of a planner. I like to know where I'm going, what I'm doing. And I, I write my sermons out word for word because I like to know where I'm going and what I'm doing. And God just moved on me specifically last night. We got back from Denver. and I was kind of doing some final touch-ups to a sermon. And I, I like to listen to music while I'm writing a sermon. And I put on this song. And it's called No Other Name. And I kind of started typing away, started reading and, and just making sure things were good for Sunday. And God used this song, man, in a way that I haven't experienced in a very, very long time. I had to stop reading. I had to stop typing. And I started listening to the words of the song. And 
I uh, was sitting at my kitchen table in a chair, and I sat down, and I put my elbows on my knees, and I put my fists, you know, on my chin. And I just, I, I started weeping. Like a big old baby, man. <laughs> I started weeping. I was so moved by the song, like, there is no other name. And I was just moved by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name. And I just wept and I cried and the song finished and I hit, you know, that little circle, it has an arrow. I hit replay. And I just kept crying, man. I was so moved and it was such a powerful worship experience. And on my notes, I had it going a completely different way, but I felt like the Spirit of God was telling me to change. And so you can see it's kind of highlighted. You can't see from there. What am I talking about? It's highlighted in yellow. And it just says, move forward as the Spirit leads. And so this morning I've been praying like, Lord, you better lead. Because I'm kind of stepping out like Peter onto the water, you know. I'm stepping out. This is scary. There's a bunch of eyeballs looking at me. This is, I don't want to look like an idiot. God, you better lead, please. And he did. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read something to you. And then I asked the band. By the way, our band is awesome. I sent e- an email. You can clap for them, all right? And I know they all like are just piercing me in the back with their eyes because they don't like praise of men, okay? Because they want it all to go to God. But our band is awesome. I sent an email to Keith last night at about 11, and I said, "I need you to do a song, man. We haven't done it before. I know the service starts in less than 11 hours. Um, you got this, man. You're you're good." And uh, so we'll see, you know, if they got it. No pressure. No pressure. But I'm going to read this, and then we're going to sing the song of worship to the Lord. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before the Lord, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him. We thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains that he carried. Our disfigurements. All the wrong things with us. We thought he brought it on himself. That God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to Him, that ripped and tore and crushed Him. Our sins. He took the punishment 
And that made us whole. Through His bruises, we get healed. We all, like sheep, have wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing. We've all gone our own way. And God has piled our sins, everything we've done wrong, on Him. On Him. He was beaten. He was tortured. But He didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, like a sheep being sheared, He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and He was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for His own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of My people. They buried Him with the wicked. They threw Him in the grave with a rich man. Even though He'd never hurt a soul. Even though He never said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush Him with pain. The plan was that He gave Himself as an offering for sin so that He'd see life come from it. Life! Life! And more life! And God's plan will deeply prosper through Him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, He'll see that it's worth it and be glad He did it. The what He experienced, my righteous one, my servant, through what He experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones. As He Himself carries the burden of their sins. <laughs> Brace yourself. Therefore, I will reward Him extravagantly. The best of everything. The highest honors Because He, Jesus Christ, looked death in the face and didn't flinch. Because He embraced the company of the lowest. Because He took on His own shoulders the sin of many. Because He took up the cause of all the black sheep. Isaiah chapter 53. There is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. And just like the prayer of the Standridge girls, we've been praying I've been praying. I've been weeping like a big old baby that God would save some people today. Would you please call upon His name? There is no other name. Listen to the song. 
join in. If you know the words, I think the words might be on the screen. I don't know. We only had a couple of hours. But may it minister to you. And There's no super clear process of like, how am I supposed to be saved? Just call on that name. Just call to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I believe in what you did on the cross. Isaiah chapter 53. Wow. I believe that, God. Not only do I want to accept you, but I want to follow you with my life. And I want my life to bring about such great purpose, not only for the kingdom of God, but for this broken, crazy world. God, I give you my life. Something like that. I don't know. Make up your own prayer. Pray it to God, man. There's no formula. There's no special potion. He just wants you to be broken before Him. Whatever that looks like for you. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Would you please?